Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 262, and today we are talking about books being released on June 2nd, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Welcome back to the beginning of another month! Yay-ish. I mean, it's really not yet for us, as we record. No. (laughs) We're actually, it's like we're talking from the future, Mm -hmm. when actually we're talking from the past. Right. But it is June. It is June second when this is being released. There are a lot of amazing books out today. I went through my master list last night and I pulled like sixty three titles from the mm. list that had been moved to a different date, which was very sad. But fortunately, speaking for myself, I am going to talk about three of the best novels of the year today. Mm. They're all coming out today. I hogged them for myself. <laughs> and uh, so that's so it's already an amazing day right there. And there's tons, tons, tons of great books. I talked about the Enigma game last week on the show, and we recorded like on a Wednesday before the show came out. And the next day I looked it up and they had moved it to November. So I'm very sorry if you're all excited about the Enigma game and now it has been moved. But I swear when we recorded, it was <laughs> supposed to come out last week. So, oh, well. Kelly, do you have anything you would like to add before we talk about books today? No, not really. Um, I read a lot of YA, which was great. I realized that like I did not time my reading well this month. And last week I was like, oh, we have to record next week. I haven't finished reading four books yet to talk about. So I was looking and looking and I was so glad that I picked one that I did thinking like, oh, it's short. It'll be fast. And it was, but it was also really, really good. So mm. yeah, yeah, it sneaks up on you. You know, it's like three weeks later, it's already time to record again. So Mm -hmm. before we talk about the fabulous books that we have for you today, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, I am so excited about my first book. It is a novel. Like I said, I have three amazing novels today to tell you about. It is Parakeet by Marie-Helene Bertino. 
She wrote the story collection Safe as Houses and then the debut novel 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas, which came out many years ago. I love it. It's a favorite of Rebecca's and we've been waiting to hear from her. And oh my goodness, it was so worth the wait. This novel is everything that I wanted. It's not a huge novel, but it's amazing. It's about a woman. She is the narrator of the novel. She is just known as the bride. And when we start, the bride is staying at an inn on Long Island, uh, and not in Long Island, as we learn. It's, you say, on Long Island. And she's she's getting married in a few days. We kind of discern from what she's talking about with her grandmother, who we will hear about in a second, uh, that, you know, she maybe she and her husband are experiencing a little friction and she's getting a little stressed out about the wedding. And so he thinks she should just go have some time to herself at the inn where they're getting married uh, before the actual day of the wedding. So she is talking to her grandmother. Uh, there are some twists to that, though. She goes into her hotel room, or she's in her hotel room uh, one day, and there's a parakeet. She sees a parakeet there, and she knows immediately that this parakeet is her grandmother, her dead grandmother, because the bird and her grandmother wear the same blue eyeliner. The bird has blue. She's, so she's like, well, that must be my dead grandmother, because that's a normal thing to assume when you see an animal. And actually, lots of people assume their dead relatives come back to them in the form of birds. So, you know, there's a parakeet in her hotel room. But not only that, the parakeet talks. It talks to her, which is awesome. And the first thing the parakeet says to her is, what is the internet? Which is a very large question. But it turns out that when her grandmother, when she last saw her grandmother uh, a decade before, her grandmother asked her what the internet was. And she kind of, like, lied about what it was because she thought it was a very large question and didn't want to really explain the internet to her grandmother because she was very old and didn't think she would understand. So she just kind of, like, said, oh, it's just something that engineers use. And then the next day, her grandmother had a terrible fall and died. So now she feels guilty because this was the last conversation she had with her grandmother and she told her a lie. And so now here her grandmother is asking her again what the internet is and then starts just, like, talking about all kinds of things with her, like, as, you know, ghost people in birds will do. Uh, and we learn about how the bride, you know, she's getting married, but she's not really in love with the guy that she's marrying. He's really nice. and He's an elementary school principal. And he's probably like the, a good person to marry. But we learn like her mother was very cold and she didn't receive a lot of affection. Uh, her father died when she was young. And She's kind of like working out her issues like while she's talking to her grand bird here. And eventually the grand bird comes around to saying, you know, I don't want you to get married. I have a more important task for you. I want you to find your estranged brother. And she's like, oh, you know, I knew that was coming. So like, it's kind of like as you're reading this, you're like, is the bird real? Is the bird really talking? You know, but her brother is a reclusive playwright and... So she decides, yes, she's going to appease the grand bird parakeet woman and find her brother while she also finishes her wedding preparations. And this book could not be more perfect. It was just, it was everything that I wanted. It was bizarre and smart and heartbreaking. And it's just like, this novel is just a funny, poignant story. The writing is almost ethereal. And it's about, you know, unresolved issues and family and heartbreak. I just, I loved it so, so, so much. And like I said, it is short, so I'm not going to tell you any more about it. It is called Parakeet. It is by Marie Helene Bertino. And it is perfect, which also starts and ends with P and T, like Parakeet. (laughs) 
My first pick is You Should See Me in a Crown by Leah Johnson. And I love this book. The moment I saw the cover when it was first revealed, I knew I wanted to read this book. And I am so excited about how much I loved it when I read it. So um, it was the kind of to use a phrase Eric uses on Hey it was a hug in the shape of a book. It was exactly what I needed when I read it. So the story follows Liz Lighty, who is so eager to get out of her small Indiana town. She is a poor black girl living with her grandparents after her mom has died and her dad has disappeared. She also happens to be queer, but because of the situation, because of her town, she is not openly out. And she is super looking forward to going to Pennington College, which is about three hours from home. And she is anticipating getting a scholarship to help her do it on her own so she doesn't have to ask her grandparents to help her out financially. Uh, She's got the grades and she's got the extracurricular. She's not worried about it, but... We find out pretty much immediately she didn't get the scholarship and she doesn't tell her grandparents that she wants to come up with another plan to get out of town and do this on her own without their help. Uh, Enter prom. So the thing is about where Liz lives is that prom is a really big deal. Think big deal like football in small town Texas. Big deal. There's this week-long competition for becoming part of prom court and the king and queen of the prom earn a really big chunk of money for their future education. Getting on the court requires doing a lot of things like community service, it requires having good grades, and being an upstanding citizen of the school itself. Uh, It also means not being openly out and not attending the event with a same-sex partner. Liz really doesn't want to do this, but because she's so desperate to attend Pennington, she decides to run for prom queen. It'll be good money, and um, since she's not openly out, she feels okay not being super vocal about her identity here. But things get weirder and more complicated because there's now a new girl in town named Mac, and as we'll learn, Liz gets to call her Amanda. There's a story to that. Um, But Matt begins the school mid-year and decides that she is also going to run for prom queen. She is part of a family legacy in town, so it's likely she has a pretty good chance of winning. Instead of getting mad, though, Liz finds herself starting to fall for Mac, and now she is crushing hard on her. Um, This is a really sweet and fun and humorous story. Of somebody who was so many things to so many people. She also had a lot of really tough stuff in her life. She lost her mom to sickle cell and her brother, who is only a year younger than her, struggles with it too. She wants to really protect him. And she also is super conscious of how little her grandparents have financially to help her go to school or to cover hospital bills or even the home that they live in. She is aware she's among the less fortunate at her school and even more painfully aware of it that she is black in a small town. So keeping her queerness a secret, a quiet sort of thing to herself is important, um, not just because of the rules for prom, which that comes up in the book. That's something that will be addressed. But she doesn't want to stand out any more than she already does. I'll say this ahead of time because I know a lot of readers will want to know this. There is an outing in this book. She is outed, but it's not cruel. 
It doesn't break Liz, though she certainly has to deal with the ramifications of being outed. Um, she wonders if she's going to lose her chance of being prom queen and ultimately then the money to go to college. Um, she's also worried that it will make her only more marginalized where she's at. This book has so much heart and it's so swoony. Liz er, and Mac have this great relationship and um, Liz's relationship with her family is so wonderful to see. I really loved the connection she had with her brother. I loved how close they were in age and how supportive they were of one another. As somebody who never went to prom and had no interest, uh, I was kind of surprised how much I absolutely ate this book up about prom. Um, the promposals, which are a total hoot in this book, because this is about so much more. It's about a girl who just wants to pursue her dream and wants to do it on her own and does whatever she can to make that happen. And that is You Should See Me in a Crown by Leah Johnson. I am very excited to read that book, too. But when I saw that you were reading it, I put it off. But it's just so great. Plus, I have watched the video of Andrew Scott saying that, like, from Sherlock, like, eight million times whenever I'm feeling, like, kind of glum. I'm like, let's watch Andrew Scott say, you should see me in a crown. And then I guess now it's a song, but I don't know. I'm not that up to date with everything. Billie Eilish? Yes, I, I think so. And the book title is a reference to the song. Ugh. I'm mm -hmm. so old. <laughs> All right. My next book is another second novel that is just going to knock your socks off. And it is one that I know many of you have been highly anticipating. It is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Britt Bennett wrote The Mothers, which came out many years ago now and was so good. But I don't like to like say like one way or the other about things but i'm totally gonna say it. this one is even better than the mothers mm. like i really liked the mothers but i thought that this was exceptional and so this is a book i looked up the pronunciation i listened to a bunch of people say it and the best way that i could come up with is the vignette the vignette the vignette twins it's v-i-g-n-e-s i'm not entirely certain that's how you say it but i'm pretty sure it was not the guy who was saying vignes but, you know, <laughs> so we're going to go with Vigna Twins. They, it's opens in 1968, and the owner of the diner has run into the diner to say that one of the Vigna Twins has returned to Mallard, their small town of Mallard. Uh, he saw her walking with a little girl. And who is that little girl? And what is she doing back? Because 14 years earlier, the day of the Founders' Day picnic, the Vigna twins, they were 16 years old. They disappeared. And the people of the town looked for them, but they couldn't find them, and they didn't know where they went. But it turns out that one of them has now returned, Desiree. There, are, there is Desiree and Stella. A little back history on Desiree and Stella. They are the great-great-great-granddaughters of the founder of Mallard. The founder was a freed slave who started this town on a piece of sugarcane land that he was given by the man who freed him, who also was his father, uh, which is, so his mother was a slave as well. And the founder was very light in complexion because he had a white father. And he decided he wanted to start a town of African-Americans who had lighter skin. He married a woman whose skin was even lighter than his. And he thought that it would be a safe place for people of color if they were lighter complexioned. Uh, and so many of the townspeople now, a hundred something years later, are very light in complexion. And so Desiree returns, and she has a young girl with her, and the girl has dark skin, and now the town is all abuzz, like, who is this girl, and, you know, are they going to stay, and is she going to fit in? 
And, you know, because it turns out that they they didn't, they ran away. They weren't, like, abducted or anything. Like, the girls ran away when they were 16. The story goes on to explain, like, how, you know, these the, the twins were, like, inseparable as children. A little different in temperament, but pretty inseparable. Uh, but when they are 16 years old, their mother tells them, uh, their father has passed away at this point, and their mother tells them, you're done with school. And Stella is really, really into school and she wants to be a teacher. And her mother says, no, that's enough. You've had enough schooling. I need you to help out with the bills. And and so she gets them a job cleaning a house. And they're just devastated. Mostly, not so much Desiree, who wasn't really enjoying school, but Stella is devastated. And they just decided, like, this is not the life that they want. And they want different lives. They want to go somewhere else. And so when they are 16, they run away from home. And so they end up in New Orleans for a while. And they go on to live very different lives. Uh, Desiree, she marries a man who is has much darker skin than her, while Stella decides that she is going to pass for white. And eventually, she meets a wealthy white man and decides to abandon Desiree and her identity and marry this man and have a daughter and live a different life. Whereas Desiree goes back to the town and it follows them over like three decades of their lives and the choices that they've made. It's just stunning. It is just... My friend read it a few months before I did, and she was like, it's probably the best novel that I've read this year. And I was like, oh, those are high expectations. But she was not wrong. It is so fantastic. It's just a stunning second novel. And it's about race and family identity and not just sisters, but also, you know, mothers and daughters, them and their mother and, you know, the girls when they have their own daughters and the bond between sisters and twins. It's so, so, so touching. But I will also say, I want to give heads up warnings for racism, which also includes a horrific violent act against a person of color. And there is also a sexual assault of a young girl. So if that is something that you are sensitive to, just be aware that that is in the book. But it's so fantastic. And like I said, I find I liked it better than The Mothers. It's also very different, but... It's just, you just have to read it. That's all I can say. That's the rest of what I have to say. Just read it and see for yourself. It is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. My next pick is Again Again by E. Lockhart. And I cannot articulate how wildly close to today's reality um, Lockhart's new book is. And it was such a refreshing return for me, to her writing that I loved. I wasn't a big fan of her thrillers. That is not my genre. And her stories that were in that genre never connected with me. But this book felt very, very much like the E. Lockhart I found so compelling when I started reading her books. So what if you made other choices? What if your life was playing out in a way different than how it was going in reality. So that's sort of the premise of the story. This explores the multiverse, and it follows a girl named Adelaide who is at a boarding school called Alabaster Prep Academy, where her dad is a teacher. Her mom and her younger brother, Toby, are still living at home in Baltimore, which is hours away from where she and her father are. The why of this sort of remains quiet for a little while in the book, but it's eventually revealed that Toby has a drug addiction and... Their mother is staying to help ensure he finds a way to recover. Adelaide and her father move so that he can continue to make an income for the family and that way she can also get a good education. Except it won't be that way, or at least it won't in this reality. The story opens and Adelaide and her boyfriend have broken up and she is feeling really lonely and sad 
doing her summer job, which is walking dogs for the various faculty at the school. Uh, She meets Jack at the dog park, and he looks really familiar to her, but she can't figure out why. But she knows immediately that she likes him, and she begins to pursue him really, really hard. In the meantime, she is failing one of her classes because she never turned in a major project in her set design class, and her teacher, as you can guess, is not really happy about this. Yes, it's summer and it's break, but Adelaide has been given more time to complete the project because her teacher thinks she really has talent. Uh, Set building is, you see, about executing an idea in a way that isn't necessarily the real image of a thing, but as true a rendition as possible so that an audience understands what it's meant to stand in for. So in Adelaide's experience, the people in her life tend to be the set but none of it is real to her. She is walking through it, but none of it is alive or real. Part of this is because she's really mired in grief and sadness, as well as worry and fear. Um, She is attached to Jack because this helps her find anchoring. And even though he's not interested in her, she continues to pursue him. So when her ex reaches back out in desperation, Adelaide feels compelled to forgive him to have this consistency in her life. But that's only the story in one reality. This book is about the multiverse or the idea of multiple realities. So the story plays out in a number of different ways throughout the book. Sometimes Adelaide and Jack are together. Sometimes Adelaide is a really good sister to her sick brother. Sometimes she's a downright nasty person. And in each of these realities, we see a really complex picture of who she is as a character. It's a love story, but it's not a romance. um, And that's not central to the plot. It's it's purposefully peripheral since it's meant to be there uh, as a way for Adelaide to wake up to how she behaves towards others in her life and especially the people who are closest to her. She is privileged and healthy, um, but she can't take those sort of uh, blinders off to see the bigger picture and see where it is she herself is falling apart or too dependent upon others to give her reason and purpose. This is really, really clever and unique. And it's packed with a lot of emotional moments, a lot of depth, and I thought fun with philosophy. The one philosophy class I took in college was miserable. It was like the worst experience of my life. This made philosophy really fun and made me uh, not hate it the same way I have before. This is one I think that will delight so many readers. It packs a lot without saying too much. It's a pretty short book. And the chapters are written in a lot of broken apart dialogue and text, and yet it doesn't rely on anything cheap to really pack a punch. Some of the marketing for this book suggests that it's funny, and it's really not. It's really, really clever, but not necessarily funny. So if you see that, don't go in expecting ha-has, just, you know, maybe like a smirk on the side of your face, you know, like one of those little wink-wink, get it? And, And I'll put it out there, none of the dogs die or get hurt in this book, so you don't have to worry about that. But yeah, this is this was fun um, and refreshing, and that is again, again by E. Lockhart. Okay, my next pick is the third of the amazing novels that I mentioned that I am hogging all for myself. It's so fantastic. This one is a fantastic debut novel. It is a burning by Mega Majumdar, and if you have heard about it, it's probably because Margaret Atwood keeps talking about it everywhere on social media. Um, It's that good that Margaret Atwood caught her attention. It's so good. It's set in contemporary India 
And I just want to say before I start describing the plot that I'm going to mention a horrific act of violence, uh, which is what kicks off the book. In India, there is a train bombing. Uh, some terrorists trap the people inside a train and set it on fire. Uh, and by all accounts, uh, through videos, the police just stand by and watch as this happens. So it, there is a young Muslim woman named Javan who was near their station but it was not on the train. Uh, and, you know, so she didn't end up inside the train. But, you know, she's shaken by this. And she goes home and she's like reading about it on Facebook and people are talking about it. And she sees this video of a woman who is like crying and screaming and saying like, you know, my husband was was trying to help and, and the police are doing didn't the police did nothing. And she like re reposts this on Facebook. You know, and someone and someone's like, you know, how do you know that this is a real video? Like, how do you know that she's telling the truth? And you know, like, like the usual comments that things get on the internet. But you know, she's watching as how it's kind of like how people are like, even in a time of such horror, they're driven by likes and attention. And she's thinking like, well, this post isn't getting any attention. Like, no, none of my friends are paying attention to this. And she ends up making this comment along the lines of something of like, if the police don't help, does that also make them terrorists? And someone who sees this comment turns her in, and now suddenly she's being accused of participating in, in this terrorist act, like that she is one of the terrorists that carried this out, and it completely upends her life, as you can imagine. So the story is told from not just her point of view, but it's also told by Lovely, who is a trans woman who has been taking acting classes from Javon, and also from Javon, the point of view of Javon's former gym teacher, who is called PR Sir and uh, would pretty much do anything to get in with the right-wing party. Uh, we hear about them. Majumdar covers so many issues like religion and class, terrorism, identity. It is a wildly ambitious first novel and she makes it work. She pulls it off. I mean, it's so powerful and it asks these really important questions. And even though some of them, like there are no answers for them, like like, what are the answers? It makes you think, because it, it's devastating and just heart-wrenching, but so, so good. You know, and it's like, this is a novel for people who claim that the suffering of others has nothing to do with them, or people who claim that politics has no place on social media, or in their lives, or, you know, it's not time to politicize things when stuff like this happens. Um, and it's also a look at, you know, just, just the effect of social media, like the power of social media, you know, nowadays, like how we share this information and, and the repercussions. It's just so good. So it is called A Burning, and it is by Mega Majumdar. And now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Okay, Kelly, take it away. All right. So my next book is nonfiction, and it's called The Language of Butterflies, How Thieves, Hoarders, Scientists, and Other Obsessives Unlock the Secret of the World's Favorite Insect by Wendy Williams. And I'll start by saying it's pretty universal. People love butterflies. Almost also equally universal. People don't like moths. But the difference between a butterfly and a moth isn't what you probably think it is. Instead, it's just a small body part that controls how their wings move. And that's about it. If that little tidbit has you intrigued, this book will be your jam like it was mine. Uh, so it's set up in three parts. 
past, present, future, Williams, the author, writes in a really approachable, delighted manner, but with great research to buoy the book. And she takes a deep dive into the butterfly and what makes the butterfly so alluring. So we go back deep in history with how Victorians became obsessed with collecting these creatures and highlight a few of the women who were leaders in butterfly research and discovery and yet never had their stories shared because sexism. Uh, The book highlights parts of the U.S. where butterfly studies became real hotbeds and what made the ecosystems in these places so supportive of a really wide array of butterfly species. Then in the present section, Williams goes deep into the monarch. And I love this section in particular as somebody who has a native garden meant to attract pollinators and who last year watched a handful of monarchs uh, reach maturity and make their lengthy trip to Mexico. My husband and I used to go, do you think our butterfly made it to Mexico yet? You know, like every day after she she left. So it digs into the reason why butterflies and other insects choose to eat things like milkweed, which is exceptionally toxic. If you have milkweed in your yard like I do, you know it's not just monarchs, but a few other insects uh, who eat this and that they all share a similar bright orange coloring, which is a warning to others of how toxic that insect is. So then the final section of the book, which is about the future, traces the flight path of the monarch from north to south, at least in the continental U.S. Um, Not all monarchs make that journey, as those that are on the west coast take a different one. And then monarchs who are in warmer climates, like in Florida, may migrate, while others choose not to. It's a really wide range of migratory habits that are fascinating to research and to um, citizen scientists. And Williams digs into how wild these creatures truly are in terms of the incredible lives they live. They go from these places they know they can find food to traveling thousands and thousands of miles and stopping along the way in unfamiliar places and still are able to find the sort of food they need to sustain the rest of their travel. This was so fascinating, and I learned so much about butterflies. I did not know their wings are actually made of scales, and that blue butterflies are so highly prized because they're among the few things in nature where blue is actually a hue as opposed to a reflection of light upon their wings. Williams doesn't go into the thievery of butterflies as much as I had hoped, but she dropped enough names that I know I can go on like a wild Google search and and get some really like delicious stories. I also had no idea that the black on the wings of monarchs were actually veins. And this book also talks about how horrible male monarchs are towards the females they want to mate in the early generations. Um, Once they're to their fourth generation or the generation that migrates, the females are much safer um, as the males have lost a lot of their uh, machismo, if you will. And if you're unfamiliar with monarch generations, you'll get up to speed on that in the book too. I love how delighted Williams was throughout the book. And it makes the reader really delighted too. So this is an especially long book, but it's, really well-researched, and it's a breezy read. Um, In the author's note, Williams mentions being almost 70 or in her 70s. I can't remember exactly which. And I don't remember the last time I read a book by an author who was in that age bracket. So I wanted to, like, note that because it was very cool. It was neat to experience the world of butterflies through her eyes. And honestly, as much as I love them, I'm never going to look at them the same way through my own. 
Um, I've always loved them, but for sure I might become a little bit more obsessed with them. And that is The Language of Butterflies by Wendy Williams. We don't have any butterflies. I can't talk. Butterflies? Mmm, <laughs> butterflies. We don't have any butterflies around our house, which makes me sad because I lived in like an apartment downtown in the city for a very long time. And I thought, I'm going to move to a house and we'll have butterflies because we have a yard. And no. You have to plant stuff that attracts them. Yeah, we have like a zillion plants, but apparently nothing that they're interested in. Yeah, I we only do it because my husband has a, a native garden and he's very into finding all the very native species that exist here. And so he's got a couple guys, you know, everybody has a guy. He's got a couple guys who sell native plants that he works with. And so we have all the things that the local pollinators like, which is fascinating. It's like you don't know what you're going to get. And actually, Williams talks about that in the book a little bit. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get when you have pollinating flowers. So, you know, even if you did plant like a whole yard of milkweed, you might never see a butterfly, but you might see a ton of the little milkweed beetles, which creepy looking. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. My last pick today is about another beautiful butterfly. Um, It's actually, it's a very short book. It's a humor book. I read it because one of my picks got moved to a different date so i picked it up and also because i love her it is very fat very brave the fat girl's guide to being brave and not a dejected melancholy down in the dumps weeping fat girl in a bikini by nicole byer who is such a delight if you don't know her she is an actress and a comedian she's on the good place she played the the postal worker she's on uh, brooklyn 99 she plays doug judy's sister Trudy Judy, she's so funny. And she's also the host of Nailed It, which was my recent obsession, the baking show on Netflix where the goal is to be the least terrible out of all the terrible people. And she's just so, so, so funny. So like I said, this is a very short book, so I'm going to say very short things about it um, because it's basically just a book of pictures of her in her bikini. She has an extensive bikini collection. um, And she wants to talk about, you know, how as someone with a fat body why wearing a bikini is considered brave like why you see people on social media being called brave just for existing in their body and and how twisted that is and she gives advice for like if you are a fat person who wants to wear a bikini out in public here are tips for finding the right one here are tips for you know not caring at all what other people have to say Um, she does have some colorful language so if you are easily offended this is not the book for you because she does use pretty much every horrible swear word that you can think of. But she's very, very funny when she does it. And she talks about like when she was young, you know, how she didn't understand like why people were so worked up about her body or like why people care about her body. And then, of course, the the inevitable transition to where she was made to feel bad about having a fat body and, you know, how she hid it for many years and then how she turned that around and decided, you know, I'm going to wear bikinis and I don't care what anybody thinks. And so she has like all this amazing smart stuff to say about like how we all spend our lives judging people, not minding our own business and feeling bad about being ourselves. And, you know, which is something that I think more and more about lately. You know, I it never like, I think maybe it's just like an age thing. Like maybe your brain just doesn't allow you to, but like, I'm always like, why are we spending so much time, you know, caring about these things when we don't have this much time left? Maybe that's like what happens to you when you hit middle age. I don't know. (laughs) But She's just, she's so funny. She wrote this list of like a hundred something things that you can do while wearing a bikini. And it is hilarious. Like wave at a giraffe, 
You know, just like ridiculous stuff. It's so funny. Like uh, make bacon, but don't or eat bacon, but don't make the bacon like while you're wearing the bikini because, oh, that will sting, you know, stuff like that. And I just I absolutely love her. Like I said, I've been watching Nailed It. I've watched all the seasons and I wish there were more. She's just the best. So it is very fat, very brave. The Fat Girl's Guide to Being Brave and Not a Dejected Melancholy Down in the Jump Sweeping Fat Girl in a Bikini by Nicole Byer. My last pick is The Black Flamingo by Dean Atta, and this came out last week. But I hadn't read it yet, and I really wanted to read it, so when nobody had talked about it last week, I was like, this is my winner. And I specifically picked it because it's a verse novel, and I knew I could read it fairly quickly. It was so good. So, so good. So the book follows a boy named Michael who is half Greek Cypriot, so from Cyprus, and half Jamaican, and he lives in London with his mother. His father is not in the picture, but really early in his life, a stepfather comes around for a bit, which brings uh, him a half-sister named Anna. And so this book starts from Michael being young, he's six in the first section, coming to understand his mixed-race heritage as well as the unique structure of his family. As the book progresses, we uh, enter Michael's teen years in high school, and it becomes clearer and clearer that Michael is queer. He is super lucky that in his family, uh, most people are supportive, particularly his mother, who at times actually oversteps in trying to provide Michael a safe place to explore and express his identity when he's not quite ready to step into it entirely for himself. Then the book progresses to Michael's first year in college when everything changes. He is so eager to get out of high school and to try on a new identity and eager to find people like him at his school, which is very queer friendly and has a very queer friendly community. While he sidesteps this opportunity to get involved in the Greek club as well as the LGBTQ club, Michael signs himself up for Drag Society, which plays deeply into his interests of acting and performance, and um, he's then immediately overwhelmed with the idea of performing drag, but as he begins to come into his drag identity as the Black Flamingo, he also begins to understand that identity can shift and sway, and then it can be whatever it is he wants it to be. So it's at this first Drag Society performance that he almost misses, where he has this big realization and he is really able to become deeply and fully himself. This book won a Stonewall Book Award last year, which I thought was interesting because it wasn't even available in the U.S. yet. It came out in the U.K. first and it hit shelves here last week. But as I was reading it, I was like, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense why this is the winner. Um, It's a really vital addition to queer literature for young readers. Uh, Michael is a super compelling character and he... um, is grappling with the intersections of his mixed race identity and that of his queerness. And though he doesn't use the language in the book, it's clear he's not entirely sure he leans into being a cis man either. Um, And he's pretty sure he's not trans as well. Um, Instead, he starts to see all the shades of identity between the two and allows himself to sort of be a flamingo in between them. It's a slice of life story and we get to see Michael from when he's young to when he's in college, and yet it stays squarely in the YA realm. The poetry in this is so good. Um, Both that which tells a story and then the poetry he writes himself. The author is a performer and a poet, and those pieces of his own lived experience really come alive in Michael in this. 
It's a really great addition to the queer YA canon, and I think it's a book that readers who love Jason Reynolds and Elizabeth Acevedo will absolutely eat up. I love the setting outside the U.S. too. We don't get a whole lot of U.K. imports to the YA market, and this one is a gem, a black flamingo even, if you will. And that's The Black Flamingo by Dean Atta. All right. Those are our new books. An amazing assortment. Yeah. What are you going to read next? I'm going to read Faith by Julie Murphy, which is the origin story of Faith, the first fat superheroine. Heroine? Heroine. Superheroine. <laughs> awesome. What about you? I, uh, this morning, got the fourth book in Samantha Shannon's Bone Season series, and I'm dying to start it. It's called The Mask Falling, and I have more work to do, and I'm very sad because I just want to read this now. <laughs> I love this. I love this series. I know a lot of people just discovered her through the Priory of the Orange Tree, but The Bone Season is really fun, too. So... That's what I'm going to check out next as soon as I finish my work. <laughs> and that is it for today. Thank you to our sponsors. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. We hang out on Instagram. Kelly is Hey Kelly Jensen, and I am Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to leave us a treat, give us a treat. What are those words that I use? <laughs> if you want to give us a treat, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.